Wendy's coming up to read to you a passage of scripture that my guess is most of you have some familiarity with. It's one of the better known ones of Jesus' um, ministry. And it's told in several of the Gospels. We're using the story, though, as he tells it, as it's told about him in the Gospel of Luke. I want you to listen for the experience of faith and fear the disciples received here in this boat on the water. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and while they were sailing, he fell asleep. A windstorm swept down on the lake, and the boat was filling with water, and they were in danger. They went to him and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing! And he woke up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? They were afraid and amazed and said to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Wendy. Would you join with me in a moment of prayer? Not my words, but your truth. Not our thoughts alone, but your dreams. Not our fears, but your hope. Stir and move through us and around us, making of this moment not what we desire, but even more what it can be by your grace. Pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I am a proud native son of the state of Michigan. I was born and raised here and for a few years lived out of the state, but most of my life I've been here. I can probably say I've even converted a North Carolinian to love Michigan. That's my claim to fame. Laura and I love being here. We love everything about the state, including the fact that it is the Great Lake State. We love the water. In Michigan, we place high value on the water. If you don't believe me, go look at real estate alongside water, and you realize that we value that land a little more than we do other land for obvious reasons. We love being able to say to folks, we have the largest amount of freshwater lakes in the world in our state. We love going boating. We love going fishing. We love going fishing. We love going fishing. and canoeing and all the other things the rest of you do on the water, but the fact is we love water. And if you live in Michigan any period of time, the chances are pretty likely you're going to spend a fair amount of time on or in the water. And if you do that, it is my likely expectation you're going to have moments when the water will scare you, when water's power will be revealed to you. How many of you have ever had a moment where you got anxious or afraid because of the water you were in or around. Anybody? Take a moment and listen or tell someone around you in two to three sentences about that moment. Go.
There is power in water, would you agree? And sometimes you are shocked to discover the amount of power there is in water. Uh, Over the years, I've found myself in moments where I've been shocked to discover uh, just how strong the force of water can be. I I got baptized in a brand new way in Florida this past spring when the water came pouring down in ways I've never seen. I've stood in the middle of the river realizing that I was in some danger and I felt the adrenaline rush through my body. And I've been in the canoe as I watched campers that I was leading fall out of their canoe and I need to find a way to get them out of the water fast. It has been moments in my life I've realized the full power of water. The disciples discovered the power of water in this story. You know it well probably already. And there are several versions in the Gospels. I'm sticking with the Luke version today. It is very simply this. They get in the boat and they're crossing the, the sea. And Jesus is in the boat and he goes to take a nap. Now you need to understand that in Luke, this happens relatively early in the ministry of Jesus. Oh, some pretty amazing things have happened, no doubt about it, but they still had yet to see Jesus feed the 5,000. The transfiguration was yet to come. He had not yet turned his face towards Jerusalem. Uh, the, mir- the number of the miracles, a number of the key parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, etc. All of that is ahead of them. They don't know any of that stuff. What they know on this day is that Jesus is this amazing teacher, role model, enough so that they're willing to follow him, but all about who he is and would be for them. They didn't know that. And they're in this boat, and they're crossing the sea, and Jesus is asleep. That's okay. And the storm gets upon them, and the skies get dark, the wind comes up, the woods gets choppier, been on Lake St. Clair or Lake Erie, shallow lakes, you know how quickly that can happen. And it went from being a passage across the water to being caught in the storm. Not just the storm where you go, well, we put put on a jacket, but rather the kind of storm where you go from this to this, where water's coming over the gunwale, where the lightning and the thunder is strong, and you begin to recognize there is a possibility that you're going in to water that you know you cannot survive. So they go over and they wake Jesus up. Why do they wake Jesus up? Well, obviously for a couple reasons. He was the teacher, but they still didn't know all the power he had. Likely they just figured out if they got to be this scared, he's not going to escape it. Wake him up too. How dare he be sleeping through this? They wake him up. And I want to tell you, here's where, in preparing for this sermon, I had my entire thought process on this scripture changed. Because I'll be honest with you, I, in my mind on this story, always had it remembered this way. That they go wake up Jesus, and Jesus looks around, and he says, what's wrong with you guys? Have you no faith? And then he does whatever he does to calm the storm. I... We don't know what he said. We don't know what he did. Was it very dramatic? Was it simple? I don't know. But the reality is that's not what the gospel says. The disciples are afraid, and they go wake Jesus, and he calms the storm. Brings everything back to balance. Restores order and peace in the disciples' life. And then he asks the first critical question of this passage. He asked them, 
Where is your faith? Where's your faith? It's a great question. And you understand that he's asking them this before they're aware of the fact that he truly is Jesus Christ. He just wants to know. He wants them to take stock. Okay, so far, where you are in your journey of faith, in your relationship with me, where is your faith? It's not a bad question. Jesus is wanting them to reflect on where their faith is in this moment, because in this moment matters. If they can understand where their faith is today, then they can begin to reflect on what they might do next in their faith journey. As they have experienced the calmness out of the storm, now's a good time to reflect, but not in the middle of the storm. Because in the middle of the storm, Jesus chooses not to try to extort a profession of faith out of would-be disciples. It's not how Jesus works. And there's a lesson for us. Manipulating people to believe in Jesus is not a Jesus way to live. Catching them when they are their most vulnerable it's not the right time to evangelize. What does Jesus do? He calms the storm. He's in the boat with them. He doesn't force them to answer theological questions while they are afraid. Rather, he chooses to say, I'm in this boat with you, and I'm going to stay in this boat with you, and we're going to get through this storm, and after we get through the storm, we can reflect on where's your faith. Because the reality is, is that when you're in the middle of the storm, it's not the time to do theological reflection. It's a time just to need Jesus with you. And that's exactly what's going on in this story. Jesus is just with them. Because they're in the middle of a storm, they cannot handle. And so I want to break down a myth today in front of you, and I hope you'll hear me out. How many of you ever have heard the saying, Jesus will never give you more than you can handle? There's nothing truthful about that saying. Because usually what they're talking about isn't something that Jesus gave you. Jesus does not give you the cancer. Jesus does not give you a loss of a job or a child who's struggling. Jesus does not give you Floodwaters so as to threaten you or injure you or hurt you. That's called creation. That's called life. And when Jesus chose to make my life what it was, he made me fragile in a world where fragility has its risk. And there are times I'm going to step in front of a bus, I'm going to get hit, and there are days the waters are going to rise. And that's just the way it is. And there are days when that's going to be more than I can handle. And it does not validate that Jesus is somehow being mean or capricious or that I don't have enough faith. It is I'm in the boat and the storm is high. And in that moment, it's not about Jesus gave me more than I can handle. It's about while I'm in this storm, I'm going to wake up Jesus. And I'm going to be with him and I'm going to trust in him. And I'm going to get through the storm. 
And after I've gotten through the storm, and I want to tell you that I wish all the storms of my life and your life were reconciled as quickly as this on the water. That's not always the case. Some storms last a long, long time. But I've told you this before, and I'll tell it again. The truth about Jesus is that in the end, he always wins. God's truth is revealed. And as you go through the storm, it is not only about what Jesus does, it's about what the community who believes in Jesus does. So he asked them, where is your faith? Is it in your ability to handle these things until you finally get in trouble and then you say, hey, Jesus, help me out? Is it in your trust of the fact that things sort of just work themselves out? Or is it in the fact that perhaps you understand Jesus is with you in the midst of the moment? All too often, the church has done injury to the purpose of the gospel when we have gone out with others who are in struggle and said, well, you know, if you had gone to church more often, you wouldn't be in this mess. I've heard people say it. Uh, or we've, we've gone out to say to people, well, to get out of this storm, here's what you need to do first. In the storm, you simply rely on where you are and where your faith is in Christ. And, and this leads to the second question of this parable, or the story. After Jesus says, where is your faith? They're reflecting on it, and the disciples turn around and ask this question of themselves. Who's this guy? Remember, they don't know that he's the resurrected Lord because he wasn't the resurrected Lord in this moment. He was just a really good teacher. But who is this guy who obviously has the power to change the storms? I mean, that's worth paying attention to. And so they find out that they have some questions about Jesus, and you might too. And today I want to give you this invitation. Who do you say this guy is? Who is this guy to you? And I want to suggest to you that in the church we're not all at the same place on the answer to that question. And I want to say today in the life of the church, that's okay. You see, for the day on this moment when they were dealing in the storm, some of them thought Jesus was pretty amazing. Some of them were still trying to figure him out, but the point was they were in the boat. Some of us in this room today think of Jesus as a pretty good role model. You know, he has some good things to teach. Probably some things we ought to practice in our own life. That's okay. If that's where you are in your faith today, that's what you say. That's what you name. Some of you may be saying, you know, I, I'm not sure of exactly everything about Jesus, but I've come to discover that there's something about him that I can't ignore. Some folks around us may be saying, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because I've met too many of his followers and they don't line up. And some of you may actually be in the place where you say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Andrew Lee, who's a friend of mine, a former district superintendent in this area, a pastor, United Methodist pastor, a man I love and respect a lot. Uh, I served on boards with him where we were interviewing candidates for ministry. And of course, we have all these questions. All these questions about people coming up in the ministry, you know, psychological, theological examinations, all of that. Andrew had one question. He asked the same question of every candidate who ever went in front of him. I heard him do it over and over and over again. He simply would turn to the candidate, he'd look him in the eye and say, who is Jesus Christ? 
And for Andrew, there was one answer. If you're going to lead the church, if you're going to be commissioned or ordained, if you're going to be an elder or deacon, if you're going to be somebody up in front representing Jesus Christ, for him there was only one answer, and that answer was just Jesus is Lord. And if you didn't know Jesus was Lord, you still got some work to do to get to be in that leadership. And it wasn't as if we all are there at the same place, because we're not. We're all on different faith journeys, but the church proclaims Jesus is Lord, which is why we're doing Vacation Bible School this week. How many of you have memories of your Vacation Bible School? I do. I remember popsicle sticks and Elmer's glue. <laughs> That's what I remember. I remember what my most vivid memory of Vacation Bible School still today is standing outside on the sidewalk alongside Montrose United Methodist Church, that old wonderful brick building there in very exciting, dynamic downtown Montrose. Standing out there on the sidewalk, waiting to go in, scrolling around with Bill Papinall and Norm Gage, not paying attention to anybody because that's what we were supposed to do at that age. That's all I really remember, but I also remember this. It's a place where there are a lot of people who put in a lot of effort just to love me. Just to make sure there are popples, popsicle sticks and glue. People that created a space where I knew I was safe. People who taught me that the stories of Jesus that I didn't remember right then that would come back to me later. I created a community that surrounded me with love until the day came a number of years later when I stood in front of them and said, I think Jesus is calling me. And they said they thought so too. Why are we doing vacation Bible school this week? Because there are children who need to know a safe space. There are children who need safe places to play. And there are children who need to hear the stories of Jesus, even if it is about traveling to Mars and back. It's okay. Because at the end of the day, what will really matter the most is they're in a place that's safe and they're loved because of Jesus, and that much they will know, and that much is the seed that is planted. Amen? Amen. So one day when they're in a life storm and they're wondering who's in the boat with them, they may remember, or at least they might know, if I'm in a storm, I don't have to be in it alone. Because there's these people over there with popsicle sticks and love and grace who will come alongside me in this storm until I get through it. And then maybe. The work we're engaged in sometimes is silly and fun, and this week will certainly be that. Sometimes it's like last week where it's hard and sweaty and doing all kinds of effort in the world because the church just believes that after you worship, you ought to walk out of here and go make a difference in the world for the sake of Jesus Christ, and that includes building a pavilion, putting handicap-accessible sidewalks in a place where no one else could get it done, and doing simple things like that to show the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. It's who we're called to be. Because the answer to the question is both a personal and a corporate one. You and I know the power of water, don't we? We've celebrated several weeks ago the power of that water that baptized us, laid a claim on us. We know the power of water because we've seen its mighty force and it scared us. He told some of the stories a few seconds ago. We know the power of water because we see it washing through communities as close as Dearborn and taking people's houses away. 
Allen, Maryland, tell me about their place up north where they're getting sandbags right now to protect it from being overwhelmed by the lake waters that are rising high. I was just in Montrose where my dad lives, and they can't plant in the field yet, which means the corn crop is gone for this year. We live close enough to Flint. We know the power when the water is not safe. And I have to be confessional to you that it's only this week I became fully aware of the devastation in India, a country that I love, in Chennai, when, where there are six, get this, this is not an exaggeration, six million people who are running or out of water. The reservoirs are dry. And the only water they have is out of a tap in the back of a truck sent in by the government where they line up for how far with plastic containers to get some water to take back to their children. Who do you say that I am? Will be answered by the way in which the body of Christ rallies around people where the water's too high or the water doesn't exist. And you don't go in and say, do you believe in Jesus first, then I'll help you. You go in and love like Jesus loves, without question, without any consideration other than showing grace and love and mercy as far as you can. And then later on, when the time is right, ask the question, so who is this guy? And if you don't think that waters aren't rising around you, and I'm not talking about lake water, then I'm asking you to take a look at your neighborhoods, in your community, in this world, and maybe in your own family life, and realize there are people who are drowning and scared of the water, and it is time for us to walk alongside them, and hold them, and love them, and stand up for them, and care for them, and get them through the storm for however long it lasts, and then one day we'll ask the question, and we'll give thanks and praise to the resurrected Jesus Christ who is revealed. Our water sometimes can also be that power that brings faith. It did when they baptized me. It did after I got scared and then was saved. Church, Jesus wasn't afraid of the water. He wasn't afraid of the storm. And he invites us all to be together with him and to hear the good news. And when the time is right, after we have served and loved and cared for, talk about him. For it is resurrection day. The storm will pass. And God has a mission for us. Amen?